invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Leviticus chapter 27 as we come to the last chapter in this book. Um, Leviticus chapter 27, this is, uh, as we said before, uh, last week, this is a bit of an appendix, but it's a very appropriate appendix as we will see. It is, um, as you read through this, it's going to sound a little tedious, but it's God's Word and we're going to uh, just enjoy opening it up this morning and seeing uh, what God has to say to us because there are wonderful, wonderful uh, truths here. So Levit- Leviticus chapter 27 And we're going to begin reading at verse 1. We'll read the entire chapter. Let's give our attention to God's Word. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, If anyone makes a special vow to the Lord involving the valuation of persons, then the valuation of a male from 20 years old up to 60 years old shall be 50 shekels of silver, according to the shekels of the sanctuary. If the person is a female, the valuation shall be 30 shekels. If a person is from 5 years old up to 20 years old, the valuation shall be for a male 20 shekels and for a female 10 shekels. If a person is from a month old to 5 years old, then the valuation shall be for the male 5 shekels of silver and for the female the valuation shall be 3 shekels of silver. And if the person is 60 years old or over, Then the valuation for a male shall be 15 shekels, and for the female, 10 shekels. Some of you um, maybe are wondering, what's that all about? We're going to talk about that. And if someone is too poor to pay the valuation, then he shall be made to stand before the priest, and the priest shall value him, and the priest shall value him according to what the vower can afford. If the vow is an animal, so not persons, now we're doing animals, that may be offered as an offering to the Lord... All of it that he gives to the Lord is holy. He shall not exchange it or make a substitute for it, good or bad, or bad for good. And if he does, in fact, substitute one animal for another, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. And if it is any unclean animal that may not be offered as an offering to the Lord, then he shall stand the animal before the priest, and the priest shall value it either as either good or bad, as the priest values it, so it shall be. But if he wishes to redeem it, He shall add a fifth to the valuation. When a man dedicates his house as a holy gift to the Lord, the priest shall value it as either good or bad. As the priest values it, so it shall stand. And if the donor wishes to redeem his house, he shall add a fifth to the valuation price, and it shall be his. If a man dedicates to the Lord part of his land that is his possession, then the valuation shall be in proportion to its seed. A homer of barley seed shall be valued at 50 shekels of silver. If he dedicates his field from the year of Jubilee, the valuation shall stand. But if he dedicates his field after the Jubilee, then the priest shall calculate the price according to the years that remain until the year of Jubilee, and a deduction shall be made from the valuation. And if he who dedicates the field wishes to redeem it, then he shall add a fifth to its valuation price, and it shall remain his. But if he he does not wish to redeem the field, or if he has sold the field to another man, it shall not be redeemed any more. But the field, when it is released in the jubilee, shall be a holy gift to the Lord, like a field that has been devoted. The priest shall be in possession of it. If he dedicates to the Lord a field that he has bought, which is not part of his possession, then the priest shall calculate the amount of the valuation for it up to the year of jubilee, and the man shall give the valuation on that day as a holy gift to the Lord. In the year of jubilee, the field shall return to him from whom it was bought, to whom the land belongs as a possession." Every valuation shall be according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Twenty garahs shall make a shekel. But a firstborn of animals 
which as a firstborn belongs to the Lord, no man may dedicate whether ox or sheep, it is the Lord's. And if it is an unclean animal, then he shall buy it back at the valuation and add a fifth to it. Or if it is not redeemed, it shall be sold at the valuation. But no devoted thing, so this is a devoted thing, not a vowed thing, no devoted thing that a man devotes to the Lord of anything that he has, whether man or beast, or uh, of his inherited field, shall be sold or redeemed. Every devoted thing is most holy to the Lord. No one devoted who is to be devoted for destruction from mankind shall be ransomed. He shall surely be put to death. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe of his herds and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff, shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between good and bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it. And if he does substitute for it, then both it and the substitute shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. These are the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses for the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. Let's ask his blessing. Oh, Father in heaven, thank you that you've given us a spirit uh, who can teach us these things. And we pray that that spirit would be wonderfully at work this morning, that you would turn our hearts towards you, towards your goodness and grace to us. And uh, Lord, that we would worship with our life, with our possessions. Uh, For Lord, you are worthy of our worship and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've come uh, today to the end of the, of the book of Leviticus uh, to an appendix of sort, but it is a very appropriate appendix, particularly for this time of year. Uh, as you see, chapter 27 is about making vows, and making vows is about giving thanks. Uh, there, it's about worship and praise and dependence upon the Lord, expressions of gratitude to God. If I asked you, uh, what is the book of Leviticus about, I know that you would each say, the book of Leviticus is about living before a holy God as his holy people, because that's exactly the right answer. Living before a holy God as his holy people, that's what the book is about. Well, what is holiness? Well, we've talked about that, but holiness is at its essence, it's to be set apart to God, devoted to God. Dedicated to God's purposes, dedicated to God's glory. That's holiness. It's not just what you do or don't do. It's the the sense that you have that you belong to God and you live for the glory of God. The New Testament word for a holy person, boys and girls, what is the New Testament word for holiness when when it relates to us? Saint. Somebody said it. Excellent. Saint. And that's how Paul begins all of his letters, to the saints in Ephesus and the saints in Rome and the saints in Philippi, right? Wherever he's writing, that's how the church is addressed because that's who we are. People who've been set apart by God for the glory of God, uh, for his, his purposes in the world. And to be a Christian then means to live intentionally under that purpose, in that, under the banner of God's uh, calling us to be his own treasure possession. And so the rules here of chapter 27 fit that idea. Merrill points out, these rules form a fitting conclusion to Leviticus for the dedication of oneself and possessions to the service of God is at the heart of holiness. The dedication of oneself and possessions to the service of God is at the heart of holiness. 
That's a good word, and that's what we'll be looking at in the text this morning. Before we get into the rules themselves, I think it's important to just step back a bit and look at the, uh, the practice of making and keeping vows. It's, um, it's not something that we're that familiar with, uh, but there, it's, it's going to be really helpful to see what is the worldview that makes vows making and keeping vows to God, a natural, normal, necessary part of being uh, in covenant with God, being part of the people of God. What do you, what do you have to assume to make making vows normal and necessary and good? Because we all would have to recognize that it is not intuitive to a natural-born man. It is not intrinsically obvious to him that he should dedicate himself to anything other than himself. Or that he should take valuable possessions and give them as gifts to God as acts of honor and worship. In fact, when Paul writes in, in, first, in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, he says the wrath of God is being poured out on mankind because of the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and the unrighteousness of Sinful men is revealed exactly in, they re, though they know God, having he's been revealed in the things that have been made, they know there's a God, but they refuse to honor him as God or give thanks to him, exactly the things that vows involve. And so, um, and so the natural man, it is not obvious to him in the least that he should live for the glory of God and that he should give himself to the service of God and that he should give uh, generous and sacrificial gifts to God as um, expressions of gratitude and thanksgiving and worship. It's not obvious at all. Well, but it is obvious to God's people. It's, um, the, the chapter here, 27, shows us that making vows was a common part of the life of God's people and so that it has to be regulated and God needs to speak to it to address it. Men and women would freely, voluntarily dedicate things or themselves to God. Either it would be themselves to the service of the Lord or a child like, like Hannah in um, dedicating little Samuel, they could, they, they could dedicate a, a house or, or land or animals. And that would be an act of worship. It would be an, it would be an expression of dependence upon the Lord and, uh, and an expression of gratitude and thanksgiving. And Scripture is full of it. So in Genesis 28, you find Jacob running away from Esau, comes to Bethel, and he makes a vow that he will worship the Lord all of his life if God will rescue him and bless him. Of course, he should have been worshiping the Lord all of his life anyway, but that's where Jacob was at that moment in his spiritual, in his spiritual growth. And so he makes a vow. Um, Hannah maybe is the most classic example when Hannah is in uh, grieving that she is barren. And we read in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11, and she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. She vowed a vow that if God would bless her with a son, she would give that child to the Lord. And the Psalms often speak then of vows as part of thanksgiving and praise. So Psalm 50, 14, 
Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform, perform your vows to the Most High. Psalm 65, praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. Vows are an act of praise and thanksgiving. They're a normal way in Old Testament times of expressing both your dependence on the Lord, Hannah, and conviction that God is good, and um, promise to respond to God's goodness with this act of dedication. The people of Israel live believing that God is the giver of all good gifts and, and God's children should bring Him gifts. And so it's um, people in their personal devotion would make a vow as a petition or as an expression of gratitude and then they would, they would go to the temple or the tabernacle, whatever the case might be, and they would pay the vow. The beauty of vows is that they are not required. There is no commandment in the Old Testament, all the laws that God gave to Israel through Moses, there's no law requiring making vows. They are acts of personal devotion, freely, willingly made. So um, it, they're like public professions of thanksgiving, like we do at, uh, during a thanksgiving service. Every vow, you see, is a is a story of God's grace. It's a testimony of, of God's faithfulness and, and their response to it. So if you have your Bible, go to Psalm 116. It's a wonderful example. Psalm 116. Because here we find the worshiper offering up, uh, he's, he's going to pay his vow, but he's going to tell us why he's going to pay his vow, what, what motivates this act of worship and thanksgiving. We'll read the first 14 verses. Psalm 116. I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because He has inclined His ear to me. Therefore, I will call on Him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol had laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. This is His testimony. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, He saved me. Return, O oh my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. That's his testimony. That's how he responds. He was in a time of great need. God was a, a God who was kind and merciful to him. God has dealt bountifully with him. And what shall he render to the Lord? Well, he's going to lift up the cup of salvation and worship. And he's going to pay his, his vow there in the assembly. You look at Psalm 116, I think, isn't that exactly the kind of gratitude culture that we would want to see in our homes and in our church? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a gratitude culture in your home? 
where children wake up every morning and thank mom for breakfast and thank mom for making lunch or um, thank dad. Dad, you're going to go to work today. I just want to pray for you right now because it's, you know, I know it's hard and the days are long, but I'm so thankful. Boys and girls, highly recommend it. A gratitude culture where where uh, husbands and wives are ministering that to one another. I'm so thankful for you. I don't know how in the world I, I ever was so blessed. Why was God so kind to me in giving me someone who's willing to put up with me? That's a confession. <laughs> Wouldn't a gratitude culture be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have in a church where in, instead of um, maybe thinking about just my needs and, and my hurts and those are good, and, and we need to address those. But if the, if the church cult was, was defined by a culture of gratitude, where we're just thanking the Lord, because He's been so faithful, He's been so merciful, He's been so good to us. You know, we're going to be, um, I think this, this will be a wonderful way. We're, we're coming up to a, a, a building campaign, and, and we're going to be asking the congregation um, to pledge a certain amount. Well, instead of just asking you to, yeah, write down an amount. Wouldn't it be great if we, would, if we would ask the why question? Ask the why question. Um, what has the Lord done for you that makes you want to praise Him this way? Why would you do this? How has God been merciful to you? And instead of you know, recording the amounts, it would be wonderful to read the testimonies. Because that's what makes a vow honoring to the Lord. It's, it's not just the amount. A pagan can give the amount. But when God's people say, this is my story of God's goodness to me. And I want to celebrate. And I'm, I'm offering this. I made this vow and I'm paying the vow out of uh, worship and praise and thanksgiving to God. I think that's, that's just a magnificent view of how God's people should live in the world. Well, now let's look at the, the rules themselves. And um, the, it's split up. Maybe you've noticed. So the first 25 verses are split up between vowing persons and then things and then houses and lands. So we'll look at, we'll just briefly go through this. So verses 2 through 8. If you vowed, um, you could, as a vow to God, you could dedicate a person like Hannah does. She vows and dedicates little uh, Samuel. However... Since only Levites are allowed to work in the temple or the tabernacle, and since there's only a certain number of, of servants who could do other things for the priests, I mean, there's just a limited amount of things that can be done, what would normally would happen is uh, you would vow yourself or you would vow someone else, and um, you would, God sets valuations down, Right? Let me explain. So, for instance, if you dedicate your teenager to the Lord, you can't just send them off to live with a priest, as tempting as that might be. What you do is you pay the valuation, and that's, that's your paying your vow. Does that make sense? And so you would, you would pay that money that, according to the valuations that God sets here, and that money then would be used to support the priest or to maintain the temple or the tabernacle. But that money is, is to be given to the Lord, to be used for the Lord. Now, you might be wondering, why are men valued more, more uh, than women? It's really based on the amount of work that was, uh, could be done. So a, a, a male between 20 and, and uh, 60 uh, is valued at 50 shekels. But a woman, that's, um, um, a woman is valued at 30 in, those, in that age bracket, which is twice 
what a man is valued between the age of 60 and over. So it's, it's not intended to be a sexist thing. It's intended to be a practical sort of, this is how much work will be produced. And God sets the valuations, and they're high. So a shekel would be about what a man makes a month, a common laborer. So if you're going to dedicate yourself or another man of that age to the Lord, uh, that would cost you about four years of salary for a common man. If you could not afford that, so God makes provision for the poor, as he so often does and throughout these laws, then you would go to the priest and he would, he would set a value that you could afford. Um, God is not looking to bankrupt his people when they, make, when they make these vows, but God sets the valuation so that this is a meaningful gift. You're not, you're not just sort of flippantly vowing, Lord, if you do this, you know, you can, you can have my son, I'm, I dedicate my son to you. Well, okay, but think about that because um, God expects you to keep the vow you made. And, uh, and so the prices are set in a way that it makes the gift a meaningful, meaningful gift. Cattle. Well, you have, two, you have two categories, clean animals and unclean animals. Clean animals, as we saw in Leviticus, can be offered as sacrifices. Unclean animals cannot be. So if you offered a clean animal, uh, it would be holy to the Lord. You can't buy it back. Once you give it to God, it's God's, and it goes to the altar. It's sacrificed. And we read about that in chapter 7 and chapter 22. You could offer a peace offering or thank offering. With, uh, with, with your animal, your clean animal. If it's an unclean animal, it can either be used, so say you have a mule that you would like to offer to the Lord. Well, the, you can do that, and it would go to the priest, but it can't be sacrificed. It's, it's not, it's not uh, part of that. You, you would uh, offer, he would be used by the priest for their own use. Or it could be put to death. Or you can buy it back. So you can pay money for it. However, if you decide to pay money for it, you have to pay the money, the value that the priest sets for it, plus 20%. Now, why that? Well, once again, it's just God wants his people to think about what they're, what they're offering. He wants them to consider it. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not looking for hasty, flippant, quickly, uh, I'll just do this. Worship matters. Gratitude and, and, and acts of honor and thanksgiving matter, and, and God wants us to, to think seriously about it. Houses and lands. It's a little wrinkle here because, well, you have the whole land belongs to the people that God gave it to in the year of Jubilee. So if you, um, if you wanted to dedicate land, again, the priest could just assign a value to it, and you could pay the value, but it belongs to the priests. If you, um, the value of the land is calculated according to the years of Jubilee, how many years are left um, until Jubilee, at which time, if you're the owner, you have to buy it back, you have to redeem it. If you did not, then it becomes the permanent property of the Lord and of the priests. Um, the, if you had bought the land, remember, it's, you bought it from somebody who it was theirs given to them by God, and you only had it until the year of Jubilee. At the year of Jubilee, it goes back to the original owner. So those are the rules for houses and lands. Now, there are qualifications that we find in verse 26 through 29. You can't dedicate a firstborn animal to the Lord. Why can't you dedicate a firstborn animal to the Lord? Because it's already his. Right, boys and girls, that's like you saying, Mom and Dad, I just really appreciate everything you've done for me this year, and I'm going to give you 
the car out in the garage. <laughs> it's really gracious. Uh, it's very thoughtful. However, it's already theirs. Uh, so it won't work. Um, that's what God is saying. You can't, you, can't, you can't offer me something that is already mine by right. That's not worship. That's just playing games. Uh, things devoted to the Lord cannot be redeemed. Verse 28. Devoting something is different than dedicating something or vowing something. It's, a, it's an official Hebrew word that means it is completely given over. And it can, to two uses. Use by the priests or destruction. So to devote something to the Lord, it's completely his. You don't get it back. You can't buy it back. It's, it's given. And so you, um, whatever you gave, in fact, in, in Numbers 18, verse 14, God tells the priest, every devoted thing in Israel shall be yours. So if you devote it to God, it goes to the priest, and it's theirs, their possession. You, you can't get it back. Now, there's this line here, no one who's devoted for destruction from mankind shall be ransomed. He shall surely be put to death. That's just referencing uh, that God has the right to devote some people to destruction. People don't have that right. God alone has the right. He's the Lord of life. And God exercises this right when it comes to the Canaanites. He devotes them to destruction, and they belong to God, which means it's why Israel can't take them to be slaves. Um, they belong to God. They've been devoted to destruction. They shall be put to death. They're, they belong to the Lord. This is where maybe you're, you're um, making a connection here between Jephthah and Judges 11, where Jephthah makes this hasty vow that if God will help him beat the Ammonites, then Jephthah will offer the first thing that comes out of the, the, his house when he returns. Unfortunately, if you remember the story, the first thing that comes out of his house is his one and only child, a daughter. And he's made this vow. And he goes through with it. He puts her to death, sacrifices her to the Lord. Commentators differ on this, but I think that uh, Jephthah would have been done well to read his Bible and as much as we might admire his devotion and, and his commitment to keep his vow, because that does matter to the Lord, the fact is that her life was not Jephthah's to devote to destruction. Her life doesn't belong to Jephthah. It belongs to her God, to the Lord. And so I think Jephthah erred there. The point of all these rules is uh, it's to discourage hasty, flippant vows and to encourage thoughtful, generous, joyful faithful vows but but god says don't play games better not to vow at all the proverb says than to, than to vow and not keep it don't play games dedicate in truth vow in in earnest and then keep the vow as a way of honoring the lord then a short little section on tithes thirty thirty three. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. So God claims you can't vow the tithe. It's already his. He claims a tenth of everything that's produced um, in, uh, by the land. That includes your flocks. And you're not, you're, um, the way that would happen is the, the, shep, the, the shepherd would run the sheep through a gate, and he would stand there with his rod, and he'd count every sheep that goes through. Every tenth one is, is sent this way. That belongs to the Lord. The reason for that, of course, is you can't be culling your herd. Let's see, that one's sick, that one's blind, that one is lame, that one's really old. And let's take those and we're going to give those to the Lord. 
No, you take every tenth one, however that might be, so you're not robbing God. God knows us, doesn't he? He's got it all figured out, and uh, he knows what, we're, what the temptations will be, and so God, if we're going to honor him with the tithe, then God says this is how to do it. Now, um, let me just read this from Matthew Henry, because I think it's a nice way of summarizing what the tithes are about. They're, they're really a critical part of honoring, honoring God. Matthew Henry says, Thus they acknowledged God to be the owner of their land. He owns it. The giver of its fruits. It all comes from him. And themselves to be his tenants and dependents upon him. Thus they gave him thanks for the plenty they enjoyed and supplicated his favor in the continuance of it. That sounds like thanksgiving. That's exactly what we're supposed to do. Recognize that God is the giver of all good gifts. It all belongs to him. He's blessed us so abundantly, and we get to return worship and thanks uh, to him. Well, let's, let's, uh, let's wrap up. What, what does this chapter have to say to us today? I think there's several things. I'm going to focus on one, which I think is the central point of the, of the, of the book as a whole, um, God calls us to live dedicated lives, and a dedicated life is a, is a life offered to God in response to His grace. A dedicated life is a life that's offered to God in response to His grace, in response to all that He's done and all that He's promised. I love the fact that vows were not commanded, that they are, um, they spring naturally and normally from a heart that's been gripped by the grace of God. Because, again, you come to a text like this and you say, why would, if it's not commanded, why would people do this? Why would you voluntarily, sacrificially dedicate something to God when it's going to cost you and you don't have to? You don't have to. And the only answer for that is because you love the Lord and you, uh, you, you want to acknowledge the greatness of God and, and all that God has done in, in grace for you and all that he's promised you. I mean, he had ransomed you out of Egypt, the land of slavery and death. And he had promised you the land of milk and honey. And in years to come, you were in the land of milk and honey. And God was protecting you from your enemies. God was showering you with his favor and his goodness. And if you were sensitive to those things, you want to say, thank you. Thank you. So vows, you see, are made as a free response of gratitude, a voluntary response of thanksgiving to God, specific tangible acts of worship. And brothers and sisters, if that was true then, in, in Israel's day, when they're living in the shadows of redemption, how much more should not this characterize us today now that we live in all the fullness of God's revelation to us in Jesus Christ? Because we live so blessed uh, in such a blessed time. We have received grace upon grace upon grace. And as Paul says, where our sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. We've received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Paul says the world is yours. Everything is yours. World, life, death, the age uh, to come, it, it's all yours, given to you freely in Jesus Christ. All of our sins have been forgiven and washed away. We've been made victors over sin and over death and over hell, over the devil himself, all through Jesus Christ who gave his life for us. And all of the infinite power and goodness of the Father is at work on our behalf. Jesus Christ reigns for our eternal joy. I mean, we can say those things, but they're actually true. 
Though we have given ourselves to sin a thousand times, by grace we've been united to Jesus Christ so that as He goes to the cross and bears the curse for our sin, He also gives us then the robe of His righteousness so that we're made fit to go into the very presence of God. What do we lack in Jesus Christ? We have everything in Christ. Everything that matters for this life and the life to come. Made heirs of everlasting glory. You are. Glory that angels will not, will not participate in. That's what we've been given in Jesus Christ. Well, if that's true, then we have to conclude like Paul concludes, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14. We have concluded this, that one died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see, the point of the book is simply this, that God's people are holy. They've been called to His glory and His purposes set apart to Him, and and they are to live like it. That's the point of the book. We're to live like it. We've been redeemed from sin and death and hell by the blood of Jesus, and we happily confess we are not our own. We belong body, soul, life, and death to our precious and faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we confess. Oh, brothers and sisters, let's live like it. Let's, let's, let's pray that holiness becomes a functioning term in how we live our life and how we think about life, that, that we've been set apart to God. We get to be the people in this dark world who shine, not by anything that we are, but by what God is doing within us and what God has done for us. We get to be people who stand in a world that refuses to honor God or give thanks to Him, and we get to stand in the world and we get to honor Him as God and give thanks to Him. And to live our lives because God matters, because God is glorious and God is gracious and God is good, and we want the world to know. That's what we get to do. Merrill says, true hope and happiness are found only in responding rightly to God through holy lives of dedicated service. No higher motivation for personal and communal integrity can be found than in the governing theme of Leviticus, I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, to be your God. Therefore, be holy. Amen. Father God, I thank you for this book that penetrates, Lord, the worldliness and secularism of our age and, and brings us face to face with the beauty of a God who's worthy of worship and praise. And Father, we confess that we so often live with our lives, our lives with our nose glued to our calendar and to the advertisements we see, to the things that we want, the things we lack, things that concern us. And oh Lord, so often we fail to lift our eyes to the things that are above, the things that are eternal, the things that concern you. And uh, Lord, lift our eyes to all that you've done for us and accomplished for us so that, Lord, our lives are so often filled with anxiety instead of gratitude. And Lord, I, I pray that you would forgive us and that you would help us. We want to, Lord, have a gratitude culture in our homes, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our church, where we are deeply thankful people. And we express our thanksgiving, Lord, by giving ourselves and giving our money and possessions and our time to things that matter to you. 
And Lord, I pray we would do this with joy as people who belong to God and are living for things that are eternal. Help us, Lord, to be your holy people, for you are our holy God who brought us out of the bondage of, of hell itself to make us heirs of heaven. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing a song of consecration, a song that you know well. Let's sing it from our heart. Take my life and let it be. you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.